Uh, it's good to be here. Very good to be here. Uh, they've got a nice little space for an iPad. I normally preach from an iPad, but I only have my iPhone because uh, I left my iPad with my wife. It was the only way she could get some uh, visual entertainment because we're living in Port-au-Prince right now while I'm on sabbatical. <laughs> so it's like, and right in the middle of the sermon, the first service she called. I was extremely tempted to answer. But uh, if she calls again, I might answer or put her on, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, something like that, I don't know. FaceTime, that's it. Oh, yeah, sounds like two syllables. All right, we got that. Uh, now you're going, he's a professor? <laughs> Wait until I finish with a sermon, then you'll really wonder about that. Well, it is very good to be here. I um, literally came from Port-au-Prince, so we moved out there. Uh, about uh, almost 12 days ago, and um, I'm the—I guess my wife is like, "Oh yeah, you get the leave." So I got a warm shower. I was able to put the water in my mouth uh, while taking the shower. I wasn't fighting mosquitoes last night and everything else. And so she's the one you need to pray for. And uh, do, uh, ladies, you'll love to hear this. I'm not there for any reason except I followed my wife. I'm on sabbatical. And I could live any place in the world. I could be at home. Uh, but my uh, wife sends God leading her to uh, serve a hospital in Port-au-Prince where she'll be putting together three orthopedic surgical rooms there and then training the Haitian nurses and such and how to be a surgical tech and stuff. So exciting times for her and I'm just there to support her. And that's how, yeah, the women love that, right? Well, I preached a message last night that came from John 17, and I focused on verses 17 through 23, and literally moments before I was supposed to do the message for the first service this morning, God impressed my heart to change it. Then when I came out from the back room uh, before, as the worship team was coming out, I looked across the people that were here at the moment, it seemed like there were a larger group of younger people here. And God began to work on my heart again. So during the worship, I was tying together two basic passages of Scripture and tried to bring them together because I've never preached on both of those at the same time or brought them together before. So I am praying and working frantically on how to communicate those two things with you. So we need to pray desperately. <laughs> Maybe if I just pray for the next 40 minutes, then I won't have to, no. <laughs> I desperately need your prayers. Father, as I have this privilege before your children, before your followers, to proclaim your truth, I, uh, I must confess that sometimes, Lord, I do so from rope memory, and that does not honor you, and it does not serve the purpose in which your word is to be proclaimed, because it is not through the power of men, through persuasive argument, through persuasive speak, speech, that we share your truth. It is as we yield to the reality that in, of our, in and of ourselves, we can never understand and comprehend your word. We do not have anywhere close to the intellect that is necessary 
to understand your truth. And what is essential now and every time we open your book is that the cry of our hearts would be, Father, teach us. Impart your Spirit's wisdom to our heart. Impart your Spirit's understanding. As Jesus proclaimed at the upper room that the Spirit of God will come to teach you all the things that I have taught you. We desperately need that every time we open this book. So I pray for the filling of your Spirit. I pray for the filling of your spirit for every one of your followers in this room, that they would not only comprehend your truth, but they would then be faithful in discerning through your spirit's wisdom how that truth should be integrated in their daily walk with you. For those in the room who are not followers of you, I pray that you would remove the blindness from their eyes because 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving to the light of the glory of Christ. And that as your word is spoken, you would remove that blindness and they would see you. And they would respond to your tenacious pursuit of them. Oh, Father, we need you in these moments. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I was contemplating earlier this morning that I'm starting my 28th year of, some people would call it a ministry of mobilization. Sean shared that I've been in about 37, I think it's now 38 to 39 different countries, and said I do different mission things. I really don't. My purpose for going there is, was to help field personnel develop mobilization strategies. Now it seems that God has transitioned to where now I'm traveling more among the nations to mobilize the global church. In the past two years, I've been in Kenya twice, Ethiopia tri- twice, Ghana twice, all being able to speak and teach church leaders from across those countries on liberating the church from living for self so it might live in the context of the mission of God, not only in the context of its own country and indigenous people, but they might capture a vision for the nations and the families of the earth that do not know him. Now, as I reflect on those 28 years, one of my greatest challenges has been speaking to the Western caricatures uh, that we have developed about missions. It's amazing how many myths that we believe in and we think they're true. Like maybe you've heard people talk about missions and they might end their message or something like this. Well, we're all missionaries. No, we're not. That's that's not biblical. Not everybody in this room is a missionary as we understand it historically and from the definitions that history have given it. We don't have any privilege to begin to make something that has clear definition and meaning and all of a sudden mean it like everybody is. Well, if everybody is, then no one isn't. Now you might be going, what in the world are you talking about? Well, not everybody's a missionary, but everyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ is called to live strategically, intentionally as it relates to his mission. Because God's mission and missionary are not the same concepts. Missionaries participate in the mission of God, 
just like every follower participates in the mission of God as God leads and directs them in the context of their lives. I continually hear this understanding of I'm not called. And I find that very odd and strange. And it's because we define calling in the way it's been presented from a platform. Because we hear those that are pastors and missionaries and those that are in vocational service. In other words, they get paid for what they're doing in the name of God. And they always articulate it as, this is my calling. And the average person that sits in a chair like most of you in this room go, well, I don't have that kind of calling. I must not be called. Well, that's not biblical either. There's so many things that we embrace, like we're called to convert the nations. No, we're not. We're called to disciple the nations. Then I could go on and on with concepts and myths that we believe in, or that we're going to accomplish the mission of God among the nations through a vocation or a calling called missionary. No, we're not. If that's our strategy to reach the nations, let me give you a little picture of what that looks like. There's about 1.5 to 1.7 billion Muslims in the world today. We have, we're pressing, now listen to this great strategy of ours in the Christian church. Because we know we're supposed to reach Muslims for the gospel of Christ, right? Now listen to this phenomenal strategy of the Western church. We have less than four missionaries for every one million Muslim. Now that's a strategy. But we think that's the way we're going to reach them. No. So this is what I want to do, or what I'm going to try to do. Pray for me. I want to deal with two texts. One text is going to, I think, clearly articulate your calling as a follower of Christ. It's already a given in Scripture what your calling is. And so I'll be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. So if you want to turn there, and then I'm going to tell you where else you're going to turn, and you can kind of put something in the next section. So the first thing I'm going to do is try to utilize that text from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to begin verse 14, since I don't want to start in the middle of a sentence, verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 14 and go through verse 21. After I hopefully have done a faithful job of articulating our calling in Christ, then I want to deal with, if that's our calling, how do we discern how we're to be engaged? Now, I'm only going to give one illustration, but I hope that will be foundational to your continual development. Now, like anything, I only have an opportunity to unpack the Word of God for you, and I can't go into great depth. Always realize that with any sermon. Sermons are a catalyst for learning, for transformation, for repentance, for restoration. Sermons are catalytic. It is then our responsibility in community, in isolation, to begin to hear from the Spirit and to continue to deal with the Scriptures that we have been confronted with in a form like this, 
to discern what God is saying and speaking, and then to pray for the faithfulness to live out that reality. If you only come to hear a message and that's it, please understand you have unfortunately succumbed to Western caricature of Christianity that is not biblical at all. This is not a time of entertainment. This is a time of our being confronted with the truth of God and hearing from Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, for we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, and I'd say most everybody in the room knows verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions or sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Who are the we? It's the we that were transformed in Christ. It's the we that have been given the message of reconciliation. It's the we that have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, be reconciled unto God. For our sake, he became sin who knew no sin, that in Christ we might become the very righteousness of God. Did you capture it? Because this clearly communicates our calling. Now let's break it down real quick. First of all, I want you to notice the two benefits that, Christ talks, that Paul talks about in this passage of Scripture. Two very basic benefits that relates to the cross of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ within our lives. The first one is verse 15. Notice he said, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Do you realize, have you fully embraced that when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were literally liberated from the slavery of living for self. Have you embraced that? I don't know about you, but in about the first 10 years of my Christian life, I came to Christ through the Jesus movement. We were taught when you came to Scripture during the Jesus movement, ask this question, what is it saying to you? Well, that's a great question of manipulating the Scripture to satisfy your wants, your desires, and everything else. Lousy question. And it fed our egocentric perspective of life and Western understanding of, of the world. And then we took the gospel of God and we rearranged it according to our perspective that this is about me. I'm the center of God's world, 
of God's world. He died for me. If I was the only person alive, Jesus would have died for me. We believe that lie. And it developed an ethno-egocentric, self-centered perspective of the Christian life. And I can't tell you how liberating it was after ten, about 10 years of living a Christian life like that, when God brought me to the reality that one of the greatest benefits of the cross is I was liberated from that slavery. And I no longer saw the Christian life of using Jesus to gain what I desired in life to begin to understand that the Christian life is yielding to the desires of Christ and needing to strip away those things to where my desires weren't the things that moved and it's the love of Christ that controls us, right? Compels us. It now became, his heart became my heart, his perspective, my perspective, his understanding. I cannot emphasize enough the phenomenal privilege and benefit of being liberated from the slavery of living for self that we might live for him. I wish I could spend the rest of the sermon just talking about that benefit, but I'll move on. The next benefit is verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, wow. Now, the first mistake that I made when I came, to, I came to know Jesus in 1971 as a college student at the University of Tennessee and dedicated my life to him. And I was given those memory verse packets, you know, that, but it was single verses. And I memorized 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is a Christ in a new creation. But I memorized it out of context. And all I began to focus on was what a phenomenal benefit it was for me to be a new creation in Christ. But I didn't understand the context and the reason for it. So I just got fixated on, oh, this is a wonderful thing, wonderful thing, wonderful thing, wonderful thing. Instead of realizing that me being a new creation had everything to do with my calling in Christ of being an ambassador for Christ as it related to his ministry of reconciliation. Because, hear me carefully, I'm going to repeat it a number of times in the next few moments, biblical proclamation is not just verbal. Biblical proclamation is both verbal and visual. If all you're doing is speaking of Christ to friends, neighbors, or to the unreached of the world, and the living manifestation of Christ is not visible within your life, it's not biblical proclamation. Or if you just think, I witness with my life and I don't have to say anything, that's not biblical proclamation. Biblical proclamation is the phenomenal balance of the message reconciliation and we are new creations in Christ. It's the very righteousness of God made manifest within our lives. Now, one of the things that I find in my college students, see, I, I, college students are my audience. That's who I teach all the time. They never get older because they just recycle out. So I have difficulty of acting my age because my audience for the last 30 years have been college students. So uh, all of a sudden I get to 60-year-olds like I am, it's like, I don't know how to relate to you uh, because of who I relate to all the time. But one of the things I've noticed with college students is here is one of the greatest hindrances of their Christian life 
they think they're sinners saved by grace. They're probably going, wait a second, that's what we've heard. If you're still a sinner, then you have not been transformed by the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Because you're now a new creation. You're holy, you're righteous, you're a child of the king. I could go on and on. In fact, I give my students four pages, single-spaced verses from Scripture that describe who they are in Christ. And they'll sit there going, I don't feel like that. And I said, it has nothing to do with feel. It's you're embracing the reality of what Christ has already accomplished in your life. So that's who you are, whether you feel like it or not. We're new creations in him. Those are the two benefits that we have in this thing. But those two benefits relate to our mission, relate to our calling. And our calling is we're ambassadors of Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you know of any ambassador in the world that resides in his home country? Okay, that is not rhetorical. For those of you that are younger, in other words, you have to answer me. It wasn't like I was just, come on, do you know any ambassadors representing any country in the world who is located in their own country? No, not at all. The thing that we've got to realize that when it says we've been liberated from the slavery of living for self, we have also been liberated from calling a point, a reference point on a globe called the earth, and then say, that's home, and then everything I filter in decisions and, and trying to figure out how God is going to use me is filtered through a point of definition called home. Folks, here is your titles according to Scripture as followers of Christ. Strangers, aliens, sojourners, ambassadors. According to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, you are now seated in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ at this very moment. You have been liberated from having the restrictions of that's home, and now I make decisions based on home mentality. No, this is not your home. Your home is with him. Now you have been liberated from the slavery of living according to a Western concept of home to where now you can be directed by God wherever he places you. Hey, my choice is not to live in Port-au-Prince for five months. Just not my choice. You know, I want to have a hamburger every now and then. Would not be safe to have a hamburger there. I want to take a warm shower. I want to see my 15 grandkids. But we have been liberated from making decisions based on what we want. To now our lives are about what he wants. Every moment of time. We're ambassadors for Christ. How do we accomplish that? Again, through being entrusted with the message of reconciliation. That's verse 19. And remember, that's the verbal proclamation. And then verse 21, we are the very righteousness of God. In other words, the righteousness of Christ is made manifest within our lives so that when people see us, they need to see Christ. Paul put it beautifully in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. 
We are to be growing and maturing in faith to where it is Christ that is made manifest. The righteousness of Christ is made manifest within our lives through the power of his spirit, through the power of the spirit of Christ and the grace of Christ. And that is the visual manifestation of the gospel as we proclaim how we came to know that hope in the verbal message of reconciliation. Folks, that's your calling. You never have to worry about calling ever again. That is your calling. Everything else in life is not trying to discern calling. It's trying to discern God's direction in the context of that calling. Please understand the global context of that calling because he says, God was reconciling the world to himself. Global context. Just don't see it from a provincial perspective, a parochial perspective, an egocentric perspective. This is about the Savior of the world who has called you to himself into a service to serve his purpose as it relates to his mission to the ends of the earth. Okay? So that's the first thing I want you to know. And for all the young people here, high school, college age, young adults, even, hey, some of you old guys like me and everybody else in between, that is your calling. Whether you've embraced it or not, I challenge you to embrace it today and embrace it every day of your life. And then realize that the direction of God and the concept of that calling will be just as varied as there are people in this room, but it all relates to the same calling the same mission, and the same purpose. And do not assume you understand what that means. I don't have time to go into it, but don't assume. The greatest danger for most Christians is assuming. When I come to Scripture and I've read a portion of Scripture maybe a hundred times, I never come assuming I know what it means. I want to continue to hear from him. Here's the second portion of Scripture I want us to look at. Because conventional wisdom would be this. Well, Jeff, I guess you're calling us all to be missionaries, and we all need to leave the United States. We all need to leave Colorado Springs. We all need to pursue the vocation of missions. And you live in a place where there's probably more mission organizations in a square mile than any place in the world. Colorado Springs. And I am not saying that. This is what I'm saying. Turn to Psalm 67. I don't think I gave you that at the beginning, did I? Oh, see, you got to speak to me and say, Jeff, you didn't give us the verse where we put our other finger. Things like that. You got to help me. This is, a, this is a cooperative effort. Okay, you there? What was that? See, that's, you're a day late, man. Come on. <laughs> and I'm an old guy, so you got to be a little louder. So I'm counting on your son to make sure you do that. Right, man? <laughs> I heard something, but it was uh, bad ears. I, I grew up in the 60s, went to too many rock festivals. All right, here we go. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy ways might be known on the earth and thy salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee. For the nations will be glad and sing for joy, and thou will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. 
Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee, for the earth has yielded her produce. God, our God, bless us. God, bless us. So all the ends of the earth might fear him. Now, this psalm, according to some Old Testament scholars like Walter Kaiser, they believe this psalm was sung at the Feast of Pentecost. It's a feast that the children of Israel would come together in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the first fruits or the festival of the booths. They were celebrating the agricultural first fruits of their labor, celebrating how God had blessed them, asking for greater blessings of the harvest that was to come. Every year they would come together to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. You with me? Now I want you to notice... First of all, the parts. And within the parts, the basic truth of this. The basic truth of Psalm 67 is this. God blesses his people in order to accomplish his purpose or mission. Are you with me? God blesses his people in order to accomplish his mission. I mean, we love to hear sermons about blessing, right? I mean, bring them on. I mean, verse 6 talks about our God bless us. God bless us. It's kind of like, let the fire hydrant flow, Father. Let it rain down. They're so excited about the blessings of God. But every phrase about his blessings relates to his purpose. In fact, the parts communicate this. There's five things that God is asking for when he blesses his people. Notice, he wants to be known. He wants his salvation to be experienced. That's in the first two verses, right? God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Remember, the, Jewish, the greatest desire of a Jew is that the God, face of God would shine upon them. Oh, they so wanted that. Because that's where true, true shalom was found. Peace, harmony, everything. But then they go on to say, singing this psalm, that thy ways might be known on the earth, not just within our nation of Israel, the whole earth, and thy salvation among all the nations. So the Jews are literally singing every single year, bless us so that the nations might know you, experience your salvation, Praise you, let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee is a phrase that is repeated twice. So as I bless you, I want the nations to praise me. I want the nations to enjoy me, for the nations will be glad and sing for joy. So he wants the nations to experience his joy. I mean, Psalm 1611, that will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are great pleasures. They're praying that the nations would experience the joy of God. And then the last thing that they say, Lord, bless us. Why? So all the ends of the earth might fear him. He wants to be feared by the nations. God blesses his people in order to accomplish his purpose. Did you capture that? 
Let me try to help you understand why this is so essential and why most in the Western church are blinded by this concept that God blesses his people in order to accomplish his mission, okay? This is going to be a little quiz. Everybody's going to participate. You got it? I mean, some of you are going to sleep, so we need to wake you up. Little quiz. I'm going to give you the first two words to a verse, and then simultaneously, out loud, simultaneously, out loud, to get the unconvinced, you're going to finish the rest of the verse for me, okay? You don't look convinced. Come on now, talk to me. Talk to me. Come on, back row, folks. No quick escape on this one. First two words, you're going to complete the entire verse for me, okay? You ready? Come on, are you ready? Thank you! Jeez, how would you like someone stare at you for 40 minutes? All right, thank you. Are you ready? Here you go. Be still. Okay, so what happened? Well, this is what happened. In the United States, in churches across this country, we get a steady diet of blessing. Blessing, 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 blessing. And I would argue that be still and know that I am God is the phenomenal blessing. Yes? But because we disassociate blessings from God's mission and purpose, we just don't understand the connection. I'll give you other examples. Daniel in the lion's den. The blessing is God delivered Daniel from being eaten by lions, right? Not a bad blessing. Some of you aren't convinced, but not a bad blessing, right? So when's the last time you heard a sermon about the mission of God as it relates to Daniel in the lion's den? It's because we miss the purpose. God delivered Daniel from the lion's den to bear witness to Darius of who God is, and by bearing witness to Darius who God is, then Darius issues a decree in all his empire that everyone in his kingdom should worship the God of Daniel because he is the only true God in the heaven above and the earth beneath. Blessing, purpose. You with me? See, the story of Solomon is wisdom. We'll teach our kids about how that's a blessing and it was a righteous request and all these things. But when's the last time we taught about God's mission as it relates to Solomon's blessing? Because 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us that kings from all over the world came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. See, God blesses Solomon to draw the nations unto not Solomon, but himself. And we find in 1 Kings 10, there's a woman that is very skeptical. Her name is Queen of Sheba. And ladies, you understand her place because there ain't no way though no man's that smart. Right, ladies? Come on, ladies. Do I hear him? Amen, ladies. Amen. So she comes to check out the wisdom of Solomon, begins to ask him questions. And this is her declaration in verse 6 of 1 Kings 10. Half was not even told me. I doubted. I questioned. I didn't believe the report that I heard, but half wasn't told me. 
And then that leads her to praise the God of Solomon. God blesses his people in order to accomplish his mission. See, Psalm 46.10 is the verse I ask you to quote. Be still and know that I am God relates to blessing. But somewhere over here, you heard the purpose. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in all the earth. See, even the phenomenal benefit of salvation, Jesus defines eternal life. When you were, uh, someone told you the gospel, did they say, would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? Did anybody ever say that to you? Yes, no, maybe? Okay. Do we, have we biblically defined eternal life? Eternal life is not about living forever, even though that's a decent thing. Eternal life defined by Jesus in John 17, 3 is this. And this is eternal life, that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. The gift of eternal life is the gift of intimacy with the triune God. So when God declares in Isaiah I mean, in Psalm 46.10, be still and know I am God. That is the invitation that is only realized in Jesus Christ. But that's the blessing. And God is saying, I want you to know me, but don't forget this. Here's my heart. Here's my desire. Here's my mission. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. So do not get so wrapped up in the blessings where you forget his purpose. Now, let me get very practical. When's the last time you got alone with God and said, Father, would you help me understand how you have blessed me? And you started writing them down. Now, when I have my students do that assignment, they give me a very short list and I get very angry at them. Because, first of all, Ephesians 1.3 said, is God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's going to take a while. The other thing that they make a mistake in as they relate to blessings is they only think in the confines of a dichotomous category of sacred. And only think blessings relates to the sacred category. And then there's the secular or the world stuff, and none of those blessings relate to God. And so I have to teach them on how to see that from God's perspective, everything is spiritual. There's not this false dichotomy of sacred-secular. And so as you go through this, I hope at least a handful of you will do this, go through this exercise, that you'll also think of Intellectual giftedness, aptitude giftedness, skill set giftedness, all of the ways that God has gifted you, all the ways that God has blessed you. Material blessings. Then after you take that inventory, this is what I want you to do, and I'd like you to do it for at least one month, at least. Begin to pray this prayer. Father, I desperately need to understand how you have blessed me and how that can be utilized to accomplish your mission, your purpose. Let me get even more practical. 
I'm a college professor at California Baptist University. It's a liberal arts college. We have over 155 majors, from aviation to engineering, nursing to the social sciences, behavioral sciences. I mean, 155 majors is not bad. All those majors, this is what I try to help the followers of Christ, because everybody on our campus is not a follower of Christ. The only reason I'm at CBU is for what I'm preaching or teaching right now. It's for this purpose. It's to help the followers of Christ understand that whatever major they have chosen relates to how God has blessed them. You with me? And so, thank you. And so, I want to help them understand that, see, a lot of students will come to me going, oh, I want to be a missionary. I'll go, why? And they'll go, well, I really feel a burden for the nations and stuff like that. And I said, but if you do my major, I created the major of intercultural studies, which is a traditional mission majors. I say, if you choose my, my major, you have now restricted how God is going to use you among the nations. See, they think it opens the door. Why? No, they've restricted it. And I'll say, tell me about your life. How has God gifted you? How has God developed you? And as I begin to discover those things, I go, hey, you should be an English major. And they go, wait, I want to do missions. I said, no, you study English. And while you're studying English, you can take some courses that I teach that will help you understand how to become a disciple of the nations in the context of being an English teacher, being a journalist, nurses, don't drop nursing. I will teach you how to develop the core competencies of being a disciple of the nations in the context of your nursing vocation. But just don't developing a nursing vocation as it relates to your provincial perspective of nursing. Begin to develop the international marketability within your skill set because we are global Christians, whether you want to fully embrace it or not, because we follow the Savior of the world. This is his mission, and his mission is understood in global context. Whether you ever leave Colorado Springs or not, it must be understood in a global context. Teaching. They need to develop the international marketability within the area of teaching, but then they need the core competencies of how you develop, how do you become a disciple of nations in the context of the teaching vocation. Folks, in the commissioning statement of Matthew's gospel, Matthew declares that Jesus says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. How are you going to make disciples of all nations? Well, you're going to be making disciples of all nations as the people of God are massively deployed through their skill sets that allow them to penetrate the domains of any society or city in the world. See, our biggest problem is we think you can reach Colorado Springs in the context of calling people into a church. No, you cannot reach Colorado Springs that way. You reach Colorado Springs by the people of God being deployed in the domains of Colorado Springs, in the domains of law and government, in the domain of education, in the domain of business economics, in the domain of social services, in the domain of technology, in the domain of family, in the domain of medical and other services. In those domains, as the people of God penetrate in those domains, that's where this city will be discipled. What is happening in this city, like every other city, is the greater rift between the church and the world. 
because we remove ourselves out of the world. Jesus prayed, Lord, I'm not asking for you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And then he says, but I'm sending them into the world. Christianity is not a faith of retreat. It is a faith of infiltration and engagement in the context of your skill sets. Now, there will be a few of you that will be directed to vocational service. But it doesn't set you above everybody else. Now, it's just a position of, among equals as you fulfill the call of God and the mission of God from Colorado Springs to the ends of the earth. That's the vision that needs to be developed. And when that vision is developed, then everything needs to shift in the church. Now the church becomes the place of training from the crater roll till death of developing disciples of the nations in the context of your skill sets, in the context of your affinity interest, in the context of where you live, as you penetrate into the world that God has sent you, in your freedom and flexibility of going wherever he leads and directs, not limited to a place called home because you've been liberated from that so that his mission and his purpose is accomplished. Folks, this is his mission. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've already been called to this mission. It is who you are. It is who you are in Christ. It shifts the way you raise your children. It shifts the way you live life. It shifts the way you use the resources that God has entrusted into your life. It shifts the way you pray. It shifts the way you fellowship. It shifts the way you worship. It shifts the way you make decisions. It shifts everything. Because you'll know you are truly, truly mobilized for the cause of Christ when the mission and the cause of Christ dictates every decision of every day of your life. So my prayer is that you would fully embrace your biblical calling, your ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through you. That you fully embrace how God has blessed you. He has blessed you with areas of spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He has blessed, blessed you in so many unique ways. And all those blessings need to be understood in the context of his mission and purpose. And that's not a one-time day discovery. Oh, I got it. No, that is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day discovery as God directs you through three intimacies that I talked about last service. He directs you through your intimacy with his word, your intimacy in the fellowship of the faith, this local manifestation of the body of Christ. Intimacy, not just surface-level interaction. Intimacy and intimacy with the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is through those three intimacies, your faithful engagement in those intimacies, that he will be faithful to direct you in your calling, in his mission, until all the nations have come to know him. Father, I have been so blessed 
last night and this morning. What a privilege to speak to this congregation. It is rare that I've had such a warm welcome, and because I'm an irritating personality, and 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 such a response. I, I thank you for the leadership of this church and, and what you have done that has created this kind of, of soil for your word. But I pray that people will not walk out of this building and go, okay, that was cool, and then move on. But they will stay faithful to what you are imparting to them, what you're teaching them, and what they need to see if what he's saying is true And I hope they will be those skeptics who will continue to press in on you and your scripture to see what's true. But Father, I pray they'll never do that as lone rangers, but they'll do it in the three intimacies, intimacy with your word, intimacy within the congregation of God, and intimacy with as they pursue you for your call is also communicated in, be still and know that I am God. You're calling us to become. And then you call us into that service when you say, and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in all the earth. Because in the last chapter of the last book of this book that we call the Bible states, There is a river that flows from the throne of God, and along its banks are the trees of life, and its leaves are the healing of the nations. Your purpose among those nations will be fulfilled. May we be found faithful as long as we have breath to celebrate your name. Amen.